love upon our life. It's your love that we have experienced, Lord. Your care for us, Lord, that motivates us to know you more and to be filled with all that you are and to receive your spirit and to grow and mature in the spirit of God, taking on the responsibility that you've given us, Lord, as wise stewards of our times, our talents, our treasures. We pray, Father God, that our time here in the house of God would not be a waste of time, but that we might be drawn closer to you, that we might become who you want us to become, Lord, and fulfill that which you have purposed for our existence upon the earth, Lord. I pray that your word would be revealed to us, your heart, your spirit, so that we might become everything you want us to be, Lord. Fill us with truth this morning, Lord. Fill us with a conviction that causes us to be changed and transformed and totally different people just because of one reason, we have been in your presence, Lord. We have visited your house, your temple, Lord, the gathering of your people. So give us, Lord, all the power of your spirit, all the instruction of your word, and the grace that allows us to live this life, Lord. Pour it out abundantly upon us, Lord. Transform our thoughts, Lord, so we not prioritize the things of this world and callings that are empty and vain and trivial, Lord. We pray that you would use us for your glory, Lord, as you have destined us from our mother's womb, Lord, to make a difference for your kingdom. Prosper this word in the hearts of your people, Lord, like a good seed that is planted. Let it bring forth good fruit, Lord, so that you might be glorified when people see the harvest, Lord, of your work in us and through us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We were talking on Wednesday how there's only one word that can sum up the whole Bible. And it's called relation. God is a God of relation. He wants us to have a relationship with Him, and He wants to have a relationship with others. And that's what it's called to be successful, if you're able to relate with God. And a lot of people are not. I was talking to a young man on Saturday as I went to go align my, car, my wife's car. We went to the tire place, and, and the young man was there. He's a brilliant young man. His name is George. And I can tell you something that, that took place in my life when I met Jesus Christ. All of a sudden, selfishness disappeared. I was no longer consumed and concerned by myself and the size of my ears and the size of my feet and, and, and what I looked like in the mirror. And for the first time, because Jesus was inside of me, I started noticing people around me and I started hearing their heart cry and, and, and trying to, to meet their needs. Why? Because Jesus had met mine. And this is what it says there in Psalm 51. As the psalmist is dealing with his personal issues with the Lord, he says, Lord, if you take care of my personal issues, verse 12, Psalm 51, verse 12, he says, if you restore the joy of my salvation and you uphold me by your generous spirit, what's the consequences of having God meet your needs? What do you think it is? You meeting other people's needs. In verse 13, he says, If you restore my joy and you uphold my spirits, then I will teach others your ways. Then sinners shall turn or be converted to you. Is there any hope for us to be an instrument in the hands of God while we still have issues? We can never care about somebody else if we're consumed only about ourselves. We can never reach out to somebody to ask them if they're hungry or thirsty if we're hungry and thirsty. 
So the first work of the gospel is that Jesus has met your needs. And I want to ask you a question. Has he met your needs? And if, and if you feel in any way that he has not met the satisfaction of your hunger and your desire, come to him. Come to him and be satisfied. And I can tell you that this church for 13 years has, has been walking in a relentless pursuit of finding God. And so sometimes we come across like your church is too, uh, too intense. Listen to me. I, I don't want to lose God. I don't want to lose God in my life. I don't want to lose God in my family. I don't want to lose God in this church. And many people for 13 years would come into the church and want to make the church a circus. Here comes the lady with the three heads. Here comes the man with the two feet. And, and, and the church becomes a circus. And so for 13 years, we've, 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 we've battled, we've fought to, to make sure that we are the genuine, legitimate, real, real place of God. And not, not, a, uh, not some type of performance to manipulate people into giving money. A lot of churches have become that. And so we've had to tell a lot of people with a lot of money, see you later, alligator. We're not interested in money. We're interested in Jesus. We're interested in the genuine provisions of God, which are, say with me, priceless. You can't purchase that stuff. You can manipulate all the exterior stuff, but if you don't have the goods, you have nothing. And so this is what we need to focus on first to meet our needs. And so the psalmist says, Lord, you have met my needs to such a degree. If you meet my joy, if you sustain my spirit, then I will teach those that don't know about your ways. So the first step in coming to God is to know him and to have him meet your needs. But the second step is to, as a consequence of what has happened, now you are the source and the answer for others as you reach out to the lost. In John chapter 4, we have also the Samaritan woman. I mean, I've never met a woman that had so many issues in my entire life. And Jesus cuts straight to the chase and he says, Woman, I have everything you're looking for. And she says, No, you don't. This well is too deep and you have nothing to handle my problems with. He says, Lady, obviously you don't know who you're talking to. Where's your husband? She says, Which one? I've had five and the one I'm with is not mine. And he goes, You've been honest. And he still pursues her. A lot of Christians would have stopped at that point and said, this lady's going to hell. She's, she has nothing going for her. In John chapter 4, it says, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard him, that Jesus made uh, and baptized more disciples than John, it says he took off, and he says in verse 5, So he came to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of the ground of Jacob, Gave to his son Joseph, verse 6. Now Jacob was well, well was there, and, J and Jesus therefore being wearied from his journey, sat next to the well. It was about the sixth hour of the day. And a woman of Samaria came out to draw, and Jesus said, give me to drink. For his disciples had gone to the city. And the woman, the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you being a Jewish, aren't you a Christian? Christians aren't supposed to talk to non-Christians. Isn't that scary? That this woman say, you guys that are chosen by God, that's what the word Jewish means, you're not supposed to talk to us because they had a reputation. We don't hang out with your kind. 
How is it that you, being someone that's close to God, is asking me for a drink, a Samaritan woman? For Jesus had, have, Jews have no dealings with Samaritan. And Jesus answered and said, if you knew, if you knew the gift of God, and who's talking to you, asking, saying, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Let me ask you something. Does your life have something to offer those that do not have provision in regards to God, in regards to sustenance, in regards to provision? And says, sir, you have nothing to draw with in verse 11. She's like, you can't handle my problems. You have nothing to hold everything. Guys, do you remember before you became a Christian? I still remember. One of the people that tell me, Joaquin, why are you so intense about your Christianity? And it's because I still remember when I wasn't a Christian. I remember my life was a total nightmare in every direction. I was confused. I was lost. I didn't feel I, val I was valued. I wasn't loved. I was rejected. And, and it might have not even been a reality among the people that surrounded me. I had great parents. I had great mom and great brothers and sisters and great family. But my personal feelings without Jesus was, man, I was just going nowhere fast. I wasn't headed to a bright future. And this woman says, you have nothing to help me with. And this well is too deep. You wouldn't understand it. My, 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 I'm complicated in my issues. Man, if I shared my issues, do you guys remember the episode of Paris Hilton and the, the other girl, um, Lionel Richie's daughter, what's her, Nicole Richie? Remember that? Remember that they went to the house of Christians and Paris Hilton asked the girl, can you help me? And they were Christians and they started laughing. They said, your problems are too big for us. And so I want to ask you a question. When, when Christians are next to you, when Christians are next to you or non-Christians, do you have something for them? Or just, are you just full of a, a religious schedule? I go to church on Sunday. I, I, I sit there and I listen and then I leave. And that's all we have? No. No, that's not all we have. We can go to the deep, the deepest part of people's lives. We can sit there and understand. And I want to tell you today's message is called... Um, the, those people that are able to be experts, world-changing people experts. That's who we are. We need to be people that can see a John, a Mary, a Steve. And how about when you run into a Tyrone? Or how about when you run into a Juan? How about when you run into a Guillermo? Do you, do you all of a sudden become undone because you're not a people expert? Listen to me, what God wants to do in our spirit is to be able to reach the lost. And in able to do that, we need to understand the spirit of God first and foremost. The spirit of God will come upon us and automatically, let's read that, Luke chapter 4 verse 18. If we're filled with the instruction and the spirit of God, if we're filled with the Bible and the spirit of God, that means we are going to proclaim good news. We got something to take to the world. To preach the gospel. Ready for this? To the poor. Do you guys know how we usually treat poor people? What's one thing we do with poor people? 
needy people. What do you guys think that people do around needy people? They avoid them. You know why they avoid them? Because they're going to ask for something. So, so this is a rich man has many friends. When he loses his money, all his friends go with him. But the spirit of God that's upon us is to go to the poor. We're motivated by being, say with me, people experts. Why? Because of the spirit of God. The spirit of God moves us in the direction of the needy, of the lost, of those people that, that don't have what we have. And then the next thing he says, uh, not only to go to the poor, but he sent me to heal the brokenhearted. What do you do around broken people? Guys, could I give you another word for broken people? Dysfunctional people. Do you know any dysfunctional people? Yeah, my mother-in-law. Yeah, my, my cousin. Listen to me. That's who God is sending us to. And that is, the, that is the proof of the pudding. If we can't go to the poor, if we can't go to the brokenhearted, if we're not motivated to move by the spirit of who? It says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Can you ask the spirit of the Lord to come upon you? Can you be filled with the power of the spirit of God? Because you wouldn't live an ordinary life if you do. You're going to be going to the needy. You're going to say, hey, you're a pedophile. I got the answer for you. You have problems with pornography. I have an answer for you. You have issues in your life. I'm going to introduce you to provision that's endless. You have five husbands and they've all been a wreck. It don't matter because God is reaching out to you. And who does he do it through? Through us. You know, the Bible says that Jesus had to go into the region of Judea because Jerusalem was full of religious people. Every time Jesus tried to do something for the lost, it was the Pharisees that were running heads. You're not supposed to heal that man on the Sabbath. What are you doing feeding the poor without washing your hands? So he couldn't do his work around religious people. He couldn't do what he came to do around people that were just going through mechanisms. And, and listen, the Spirit of God is upon me to preach to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted. What else does it say there? To proclaim liberty to the captive. When's the last time you walked up to a drug addict, to a homosexual? To somebody who's bound by their sin and says, I know somebody who can set you free. He set me free. And who the Son sets free is really, truly free indeed. But it requires the Spirit of God to be in us. And God is calling us to this great world to do a great task for His glory, to show His power. And don't get distracted by the girls that left. They have to go to work. They work at the fair and had to be there at 11.15. Listen to me. I want to tell you something. You need to prepare to be the greatest people person there is upon the earth. And how do you do that? The Spirit of God. Christ living in you. 
If you see how Jesus moved in every direction, he never, say with me, never, had an issue with people. He never, it, it's so volatile. You know, the Bible says in Colossians 1.15, it says that Jesus is the substance of the invisible God. He is the form. Look what it says. Read it with me. He is the image of the invisible God. So if you're going to know God, you got to see him in the image of Jesus. And, and you know something? We need to be more like Jesus. We need to be able to reach all people everywhere. In every direction. Going back to Luke 4. Not only are we visiting the poor, the brokenhearted, setting the captives free. We are helping the blind to recover the sight of the blind. We are, we are bringing people to have vision of spiritual things. This young man that I was speaking to over at the tire place, his name is George, Jorge, Spanish. He just got here from Cuba. He says, I said, are you a Christian? Do you know the Lord? He says, you know something? I come from a country, and when I went to the, they never taught us about God. They never taught us about the Bible, but they said the Bible's unreliable, and they taught us philosophy, and I'm so confused. So confused. I've studied all the Greek philosophers. I've studied all the history of philosophy upon the earth, and, and I'm, I'm lost. I don't know. Can you take a person like that and give him some vision in a direction he'll want to walk in? Ah, you don't believe you're going to hell. Oh, you don't know what it says in John 3.16? Oh, then you don't read your Bible. And, and we are so hostile. There's zero compassion in our hearts. I was reminding the youth on Friday night that the book of Philemon, if you have never read the book of Philemon, please read it. How is Paul sitting in a jail cell? He's sitting there in jail. And young man comes next to him and he says, what are you in here for? Well, you know something, I'm a... And they start dialoguing. And the guy tells him, I stole, I stole from my master. I'm a fugitive. I'm a criminal. I'm a runaway thief. I have no value. You know what a lot of us would do? You're going to hell. You know that? And let me get away from you because maybe you're going to steal my lunch. Paul did it. Paul won him to the Lord. He says, you don't have to run no more. You don't have to be scared anymore. And he brings them to the Lord. And then Philemon is that letter he writes to the master because Paul was a people expert. He knew how to bring a runaway fugitive slave to the Lord. And he had already won, listen to me, in another city, in another place, Philemon was the slave owner. He was the master of that man who stole from him and took off running. So Paul writes, he says, hey Philemon, you're my son in the Lord. You remember, we're supposed to love people. You remember that? He goes, yeah, I remember. In fact, Philemon, you're a wealthy man, and you have a big house. And you're 
the church meets in your big house. Imagine all of us here in a house. How big would that house need to be? Philemon had money. But Paul had already won him to the Lord. So he writes him a letter. He says, Philemon, you're to forgive Onesimus. You're to forgive this slave because he's your brother in the Lord now. And you guys now are going to be joined for his glory. Now you guys are going to be connected. You're going to get along. You're not going to treat him. Because if he owes you anything, I will pay for it. That's a people person. That's a person connecting two people. What do we do? Hey, did you hear what so-and-so said about you? Did you hear what so... See, that's not a people person. That's a person that likes to destroy people. That's a, li- that's a person that doesn't prosper people. That doesn't give people hope and faith and future. And doesn't heal the brokenhearted and set the captives free. Man, the guy is bound by his reputation. And you make sure he doesn't get away because you put two other chains on his legs. Look what he did to me. Instead of, hey, whatever he did to you, let me pay for it. So that there would be no obstacle in you guys working for the glory of God. And so this is what the Lord is telling us. We see it in Paul's life. He's able to win a, a poor, degenerate, slave, fugitive thief. And bring him to the Lord because he wasn't judgmental. He wasn't prejudicial. He wasn't status oriented. He wasn't just reaching the high and mighty. Why? Because Jesus is in his heart. Because the spirit of God is upon him. Going back to Luke 4 verse 18. He says not only setting free the captive but giving sight to the blind. But those people that are oppressed... Being able to bring them to a freedom they didn't know. So people, oppression means that people are so burdened by their problems. They're, they're pressed. They're, they're, you know, they don't need more junk. They need to be set free. This is the gospel of liberty. This is a gospel where people can live for God. Not more oppression. And so in John 21 verse 15. Jesus says, hey, hey, Simon, do you really love me? Lord, you know I love you. Son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. All right, then take care of my people. What does the love of God in your heart correspond to? Does it not correspond to others? Does the love of God upon your life not reflect in those around you? Or is it all about you? And for three times he tells them the same thing. Are you sure you love me? Verse 16. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Yeah, Lord, but I'm busy, man. I'm busy. I don't have time for others. I don't have time to be caring about others. I don't have time. I don't have time. He says, Lord, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep the second time. Verse 17, the third time. He wanted Peter to make sure that he got the message. You are the answer to those around you. If you don't open your mouth, if you don't share my heart, if you don't share what I've done for you, how can people know? How can people come? How will people be able to find what you have already found? And finally, Peter said, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. 
And Jesus responds, and take care that you're feeding my sheep. I want to tell you that whenever there's another spirit in our life, it's going to cause us to take our talents, our time, and our treasure in another direction. Whenever, I mean, this church, in the last, in the last eight months, this church has had so many people come. It hasn't even been funny. And they're here today. And you don't know their name. And that's the first thing in caring for somebody. Excuse me. What's your name? Oh, you're George Smith. Oh, nice to meet you. What's your story, George? I was struggling as a young man and I didn't know where to go. Oh, what's your name? George Reyes. Oh, how you, nice to meet you. What's your background? I want to help you, man. I want to be part of God's story in you for his glory. I want you to become the best man of God you could be for his glory. You're a tremendous warrior for the Lord. Yesterday we met a man at the fair. He was trying to sell me some, some shoe polish, tennis shoe polish. So he goes, put your foot up here. I said, listen to me. Let me clean your soul. You clean my shoe, and I'm going to lead you to somebody that will clean your soul. Every opportunity for people to know my Lord. And then I realized I was going to look like a dummy going around with one shoe that was clean, because that's their trick, right? And so you got to buy their stuff so you could do your other shoe. But I made sure I told Anthony. This was Anthony last night at the fair. Big guy, muscular guy, dreadlocks down to his shoulders. Rastafarian type looking guy. I said, man, God is, looking for a, God is looking for a pastor just like you. He goes, are you kidding me? I said, no. God is, is looking for you. He goes, you know, I grew up in a church as a little kid. Are we being the light of the world? I, I can't go by an Anthony. I can't go by a George aligning my tires and seeing this bright young man who has so much potential and, and full of Marxist theology. He comes from a communist country, Cuba. And not be able to lead him in the way he should go for the glory of God. The Spirit of God doesn't allow me. I told my kids, my heart is brokenhearted when I go to the fair. Because I see so many people that are lost. So many people that don't have a clue. And yeah, we're not going to save everybody. Not everybody's going to come. But as far as I'm concerned, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And I'm going to preach to the poor. And I'm going to preach to the rich. And I'm going to preach. We ran into a group of guys last night. They were preaching the gospel of black theology. And they're saying, oh, the Bible was changed by white men. I said, listen, God is not white or black. He's spirit and he's truth. Let's talk about the real God. Let's forget about religion. Forget about all the stuff that taints man. Let's set man free so they, they might worship and know God. But it's going to require, say with me, a real Christian. It's going gonna, it's gonna to take somebody who has the true spirit of God upon them. It will no longer be your prejudice, what you feel comfortable with. Yeah, we would all want, you know... Um, I remember one time when we first started the church, said, we don't want any inner city kids in our church. Can you believe this? In this church, when it started 13 years ago, one of the parents came up to me and says, we don't want any inner city kids in our church. We don't want those kind. And I looked at her and I said, we don't want your kind. I love what's happening in this church. 
with young men like Lindsay and young men like William and young men like Jonathan and young men like his little brother. On Friday, Lindsay brings his brother, his little brother. And Lindsay's pretty tall, but his little brother is like a giant. He goes, this is my little brother, Tyler. And Tyler is a giant, man. That guy, awesome man of God. If he grows up by people that will help him fulfill the call of God upon his life. And like that, there's everyone. This Samaritan woman was totally transformed. And it says she goes into, in John 4, after Jesus gets done with her, she goes into the city. And when she goes into the city, she... She's able to bring all the city. Look what it says in John 4, 28. The woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, come and see a man who has told me my whole life. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and she brought an entire city to Jesus. An entire city. Is that a people expert or what? He says, if God can do that with that lady, man, we need to export this thing. And they, they brought all the city. I'm just wondering what the, the, the Lord would do with you if you fill yourself with the Spirit of God. It's a spirit that, that opens up to others. He says every nation, every tribe, every tongue. Listen to me. There's no more exclusion in this matter. He wants to reach the whole world. If you know God, you know this. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. If you know God, you know this. God loves people. Say that. God loves people. Say with me, God loves all people. God loves all people. Everywhere. Funny looking people and good looking people. Short people and tall people. He loves people. He would not go by one person. He wouldn't go by a slave. He wouldn't go by a rich landowner, a slave owner. He loves people. And that has to reverberate through us. How does that happen? With the Spirit of God. I could talk to an intellectual person about German philosophy and the development of universal thinking. And then I could go and talk to somebody who's never been in school. Why? Because Jesus lives in me. Because Jesus, He is in me and through me, the people feel one thing what do they feel love they feel you care about them they feel why is this guy doing this for me why why is he taking time out to help me along because God helped me along and if if I could throw you a lifeline if if you can get out of the lost path through a lifeline that I throw you I'm gonna try my hardest I go around the, the fair giving out my, my name, my number. I don't know what's going to happen the day that, that everybody calls at the same time. I think we're going to need help. We're going to need people with the same DNA. 
I love what George Caracol did last week. He goes out here to school. I think it was on a Saturday. He finds a 14-year-old young man yelling at his mom, upset. And he says, hey, hey, come here, come here. You know something? I got something you'll enjoy. And he invites a 14-year-old. I mean, George Caracol's older. You don't have to talk to no 14-year-old. You're an adult. You got to, you're there on business. You're there taking care of family matters. Why would you reach out to a 14-year-old? And the 14-year-old shows up at church last Sunday. 14 years old. His name, ready for me? Repeat this, Alex. Alex shows up at church, and he loves it. And then the following week, on Friday, he comes to youth group on Friday two days ago, and he tells me, you know something? George might not know this, but I've been a Christian for 10 years. And I said, you better not tell George because he thinks you just got saved yesterday. <laughs> this little 14-year-old kid can teach George Caracol a lot of things. He's a Bible expert. But in that moment where he's going through a crisis in his teenage life, George has the opportunity to throw him a lifeline. He says, come. You're going to see that all that stuff is just going to go away. You're going to be a champion. And the guy comes, and guess what? He's a champion. He's a champion. But it requires, listen, we're, I'm telling you, we, we've, we've crossed, we've, we, we've turned the corner here. We're at another level now. We've already fought the, we've made the house safe. But now we need to fill the house. We need to reach the lost, reach the brokenhearted, reach the suffering, reach the funny looking and the good looking, reach the rich, reach the poor, reach all peoples everywhere for the glory of God. Why? Because we represent God upon the earth. It says there in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, This is good, and this pleases God, who wants all people, all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. Listen to me. I understood that when this man was trying to give me five balls at the fair for $2, it was a great deal. And I had to give him the great deal I know, which is free eternal life for, through Jesus Christ. And guess what? He's not interested. He says, get away from me. I don't want to talk to you no more. I said, what happened to our deal? I have a better deal than you. No, no, no. I, I'm busy. Leave me alone. Yeah, he rejected. He didn't want. He, he didn't continue pursuing what God desires. But I did my part. I made sure that, that he knew that God loved him, that he had a great deal for him, and, and that he could come whenever he wants. It says, God desires all men to be saved and to come. You don't have to have a doubt in your mind that God wants to reach out, say to me, with me, everyone. Good, bad, and ugly. And let me tell you something. I mean, this, is, this is no prejudice, but preferably the ugly. That's why I'm here. Because God could do great things with ugly people. God could do amazing things with those who Satan has reigned upon the most. The more lost, the more twisted, the more, you know, unapproachable, those are the people that God is trying to bring to restore for his glory. And so that brings us to our hope and what God, in verse 2 it says, um, no, not verse 2. Let's go to verse 7. This, Paul says like this, for which I was appointed a preacher. 
Because God doesn't want anybody to be lost. He wants everyone to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. I'm going to preach. If that's what God wants, I'm going to preach. If that's what God wants and that's what brings pleasure to his heart, I'm going to be the messenger. Don't kill the messenger. God loves you. Don't kill the messenger. Man, he's looking for someone like you. A group of subcontractors came to my house the other day to build, and I told them, hey, brother, quit running from God. And he looked at me like, he's running from God. He knows God is after him. God is after all men. He's after all men. He says, for I was appointed a preacher and an apostle, speaking the truth in Christ, and not lying, a teacher to the Gentiles in faith and truth. He, he was... Paul was, let me tell you something about Paul so you understand it a little bit. Paul was raised as a little kid to reach, say with me, Jewish people. So he knew the Jewish law. He knew the Jewish customs. He was a professional. He was an expert. He knew all things. And God says, you ready? He goes, yeah, I'm going to send you to the people you're not an expert at. Because you've got to be an expert at all people, not just the Jewish people. I don't know who you feel comfortable with. I want to reach all the Cubanos in Miami. Good. God's going to send you to Nicaragua. Tahikilio, where you're going to have to reach people that are totally different than you, think different than you, so they could see the love of God. Not because you're the same, but because you have the Spirit of God in you. You got Jesus Christ living through you. And that's, that's what God wants. And again, let me reiterate we would be a huge, huge church if the first 13 years all we cared about was reaching people. But we were caring about us not being lost. And you could get lost. You could get lost in church and in all these matters. And I've known a lot of people that go to a lot of big churches and they're nowhere near God. But we made sure we have a sure foundation, a solid anchor. So now this ship is not being moved. It doesn't matter how many people come. We know our course. We know our calling. That's what we want to be faithful with. And now God is sending us to reach the lost, to reach those people that aren't here yet. What's the value of all this thing? Acts chapter 20, verse 28. He says, be careful. Take heed to yourselves. Care for yourselves and care for all the flock whom the Holy Spirit has placed you to oversee. That you can shepherd the church because he paid for this with his own blood. The value of something, it's what's paid for it. What gives people the redemptive value of their worth is not who they are, but who Jesus paid for them to be. God loved the whole world and gave his son. So the, the, the incredible purchase price, if you put a big down payment on something, it means it's worth a lot. Imagine paying the blood of your son. How much value would you give that? How much value would you give something that you paid your firstborn's own blood for? That's the power of the love that's walking. Evidence that it exists in Matthew 11, verse 5. The blind see, the lame walk, the leopards are clean, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel. Look at all this. It's people, 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 people. People with problems, people with no problems. People the good, people the bad, people the ugly. And we have to be prepared in all these things, say, to be experts. To be at the top of our game in the way we relate 
to people. And that's the proof that we are the evidence of Christ's work. I'm reading Mark chapter 10 very quickly as we finish. And I see it just in that one snapshot. I want you to study John chapter 10. I'm not John, Matthew chapter 10. Is it Mark? I'm sorry, guys. Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. I want you to study this chapter. Why? It is amazing how Jesus goes from one level all the way to the next. The chapter starts out with the Pharisees. The Pharisees are asking Jesus. Look what it says, Mark chapter 10, verse 1. Jesus left Capernaum and went to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan, and the crowds gathered around him as, he was, as it was custom, and he began to teach them. This guy, his whole life, he's surrounded by people. What do we do? Our whole life, we're trying to run from people. We're the center of our universe. No, 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 Jesus was different. His whole life was surrounded by people. He lived surrounded by those he taught. And some Pharisees came up in order to test him. Guys, can I tell you that there will be some people that will approach you and they'll want to test you. Do we like those people? Let me test this guy. I'm going to offend him to see if he's going to get offended. I'm going I'm to curse at him to see if he gets hurt. I'm going to tell him that he's a jerk just to see how he responds. Are you ready to deal with those people? What's going to come out? I'm going to knock his block off. I'm going to choke him to death. I'm going to avoid him. I'm not going to let these people. But here Jesus, in this chapter 10, he goes from one extreme. Here he's dealing with the Pharisees and they're trying to, to discuss religious laws. And then in the next instant, they're testing him. In the next instant, we see him approached by different people. And we're going to read that in verse 13. This is the next instance. And people kept bringing young children to him that he might touch them and bless them. Are you a person that hates youth? Do you hate little kids? Your two-year-old brother? Your three Listen to me. We cannot. We can deal with adults and we have to be able to deal with those that are smaller. And this is Jesus. And he says, they brought him little children that he might touch them. But the disciple says, hey, psh, get up, come, get out of here. Listen to me. I, I want to say something. If you're going to be a man of God, you need to be a man of God with the old guys your age and with the young guys. And you need to approach them and treat them like Jesus would approach them. Not offend them, not hurt them, and make sure that they walk away feeling, man, that guy was cool. That guy loves me. That guy cares for me. It's going to be in your relationship to having the Spirit of God upon you. Jesus living inside. Because you could be a Christian around older people, around pastors. Oh, how dignified. But how about the youth at your church? Do they think you're a man of God? Or did you snap at them? Did you curse them? Did you reject them? Did you abuse them? Jesus now is dealing with the opposite extreme, which are young people. And what does he say? Verse 14, Jesus saw this and he was indignant. He was upset. He was hurt and said to them, allow these children to come to me and don't forbid them. For the kingdom of God is made out of these. these are the, this is going to be the raw material. When my kids were three, two, and one, I was coming home super late at night. The Lord says, stop looking in their room. I have a three-year-old Nicholas, a two-year-old Joshua, and a one-year-old Brandon. And I look into the room and God says, respect them. They're my servants. 
I said, holy mackerel. A three-year-old, two-year-old, and one-year-old prophet. Because God sees you. Doesn't matter how young you are. He sees you as his servant. And he wants people to respect you as his servant. It doesn't matter if you're two years old and you're drooling and going your pants still. He wants the respect. Why? That's the spirit of God. That's the essence. You know they protect turtle eggs? And if you take a turtle egg, you get 10 years in prison and $200,000 fine, $20,000 fine. Did you know that? Well, how much more when you're messing with one of God's little people? I'm going to put you in jail forever, man. Don't touch them. Leave them alone. Let them grow in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Let them see Christ in you and not a bad attitude. This is awesome. But listen, chapter 10 is full of another one. He runs in later on, and he runs in now to another man in verse 17. And he was setting on his journey, and a man ran up to him and knelt down and says, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He says, keep all the commandments. He says, I've done it. Then give everything you have to the poor and follow me. He's dealing now with a rich man. In verse 22, it says like this. And at this saying, the man's face fell and he was depressed. And he went on his way gloomy and sorrowful. For he had great possessions. Are we intimidated by people who have a lot of money? We can't even tell them what they need to hear. Because their possessions makes us water down the message. We better not. You better be a people expert. I, went, I was invited to Peru some years ago. They picked me up in a Mercedes Benz. They brought me to a huge penthouse, one of the wealthiest families in the whole country. And the man wined me and dined me. He took me to the best restaurants. And he says, I'm leaving my wife for another woman. Do you think God will forgive me? I said, brother, you're going straight to hell. No, but you don't understand. I go, listen to me. I'm not, I'm not to change my message because you have money. I'm not to make it easy for you because you are treating me well. This is what the word of God says. Don't leave your wife. Don't leave your children. We have churches filled with people leaving their wives and their husbands and their children and going to worship the Lord and the pastor won't tell them that what they're doing is wrong. We need to not water down our message here Jesus is able to tell this man, it's going to cost you the price. And he left sad because he had many possessions. Then he has to continue and deal with, with the next aspect. Not only a rich man, not only children, not only the Pharisees. He has to deal with his own people. And he says in verse um, tw uh, 35, he, two of his followers came and approached him and said, Teacher, we desire to you to do for whatever we want. And he replied, what do you desire for me to do? Grant that we might sit at your side when you get to heaven. And Jesus says, you don't even know what you're asking for. Now, another set. It wasn't the Pharisees. It wasn't the children. It wasn't the rich man. He's dealing with all different now, his inner group. And they're asking for personal interest. And that's where people get the most offended in this church. Because I'm not going to treat anybody different. I've been here 17 years. So what? You need to serve just like everybody needs to serve. You need to love like everybody needs to love. You need to change your attitude, my friend, because just because you've been here for a long time doesn't mean you could be a jerk now. How many say amen? amen. You got to have that smile. You have to have that welcoming. You have to have the spirit of God. And what is the spirit of God? I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. I came to lay down my life. 
That's what we're following. That's, that's the lead. Keep on going. And he deals with his inner people there. And then he leaves and he runs into a blind man. At this point, in verse, I think it's uh, verse uh, 46. Then he came to Jericho and he was leaving Jericho. His disciples, a great cow, Bartimaeus came blind beggar. And he was along on the side of the road and he heard that Jesus was coming. And he began to scream out, Jesus! And the disciple says, man, we've had a long day already. We want to go? Man, we've been sitting here listening to this preacher for 20 minutes already. Pastor, it's been 45 minutes. You just want to go home, right? And somebody's here crying out. And you'll be like one of the disciples. Shh. Honey, don't look. Don't look to nobody so they, they don't keep you here five more minutes. We're in a hurry. Remember, guess what? That's not the Spirit of God. You've served yourself. Now you can't turn around and serve somebody else. You're in a hurry. Hurry up. We have to be the first one out of the parking lot. Don't say hi to so-and-so because she's going to want you to visit her this week. Don't talk to so-and-so. He has problems. His son didn't come home late last night. They're sitting there calling him out. Son of David, have mercy upon me. I love verse 49. Now let's go to 48. And many severely told him off. Hey, shut up. We need to go, man. The master's been busy. He's tired. Verse 49, favorite verse. Jesus stopped and said, call him. Bring him over. Jesus says, hey, man, take courage. Be of good cheer, man. Don't lose your joy. Jesus was giving him a lifeline. God is wanting us to be the lifeline. Verse 51, Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? What's your need? And the blind man said, let me receive my sight. Help me along my way. And Jesus said to him, your faith has made you heal. At once he received his sight and he was taken off. I'm excited about what the Lord is doing and what he wants to do in this place. And I'm more excited that he wants to use me and use you. Now, are we going to let ourselves be used? Are we going to be faithful? Let's stand this morning. World-changing people experts. Guys, not in Spanish and English only. We've written a book in German. I don't know, just a couple of sentences in German. We've translated my book now into Portuguese. They just told us that they had finished it. Portuguese is the fastest growing Christian movement in South America. And we're moving in that direction, not because I have a Portuguese uncle, but because the Spirit of God is upon me. Because Jesus lives in my heart, and I want to reach all people everywhere with the truth of the gospel. I want to get to heaven, and when I run into a George Smith and a George Reyes, and when I run into a Louis Rodriguez and an Anthony, and they're all there in heaven because I took the time out to make room for them, to serve them, to love them. When I become an instrument of God in this world for His glory, and I want to tell you something just so that you understand. And I'm, you better grab this because this is the dessert. You better grab this. The greatest treasure upon the earth 
is lost man. It's not gold. It's not your investments in the stock market. It's not your retirement home. Your best investment and lost treasure upon the earth are the souls of men. And if you would have lived your life serving men, you don't need a retirement account, my friend, because I have houses all over the world. Listen to me. I have houses all over the world. I have food that's endless. I could never eat all the food that I have, and it hasn't been because of money. He who is wise will listen to the Spirit of God as it speaks to the church. We need to become world-changing people experts. It's never loss of time to serve man in God's purpose. It's never loss of treasure when you're investing in the kingdom. He says, those who build with gold, silver, and precious stones. You know, where's that material? And those people that are around you, that they're hidden. They're in some cave, they're in some mine. You uncover them, you bring them out, you polish them. He's not talking about money. He's talking about the value of things. And the most valuable thing upon the earth is God's creation. When it's uncovered, when it's removed and put in its place, when it's shaped, when it's molded, when it's lifted up for His glory. To be a part of that is such an honor and a privilege for us as the church of Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you today for this message. We said it would be a world-changing message, and in fact it is, Lord, because your words are world-changing. Your spirit is a world-changing spirit. Your truth sets us free from the bondage of sin and selfishness, indifference. Father, we pray that we would be filled with your spirit all the more. We pray, Father God, that this church would change the world as you've called it to, Lord. That we might serve our neighbors, our friends, those that might seem to be enemies, enemies, indifferent, rejecting us, people that are lost, broken, suffering blindness, captive. In whatever condition, in whatever state, your desire is that they not be lost, Lord. You came to seek and save that which was lost. We pray that we would be an instrumental part of that work upon the earth, Lord. That you can say, well done, thou good and faithful servant, Lord. Now I pray over the families of this church, Lord, that they would receive that conviction that comes through your spirit, O oh God. To move in the direction to be used in this place. You've put them in spring of life for a specific purpose, Lord. That they would take their position serious. They would take their calling serious. They, they would not despise the calling of God for lesser forms of callings upon the earth, Lord. That we might consider all things as lost, that we might gain you and your purposes. Fill us with your spirit, fill us with your word, and send us out, O oh God, to the great harvest to do that which you've called us to, Lord. That all peoples everywhere might know of your love, might experience your presence. For this we pray in Jesus' name, and the people of God say, Greet one another in the love of God.